0: Hello and welcome to The Literacy Teacher's Life, a podcast for teachers and parents that gives ideas about how to help our children learn to love reading, writing, and all things literacy. I'm your host, Elizabeth Morfus, a literacy professor and a mom to two elementary aged girls. Here we'll talk about thoughtful, creative, and realistic ways to navigate literacy learning so that your children will feel supported and seen in their reading and writing. Now, Let's get this conversation started. Hello, and welcome to Episode 3 of The Literacy Teacher's Life. I'm your host, Elizabeth Morfus. Today, we're going to be taking a little detour, and instead of hearing just from me, I will be talking to a literacy specialist. Her name is Casey, and she's actually one of my former students. We will be discussing her job as a reading specialist and what is involved in the work that she does. So before we begin, two questions I'm often asked are, first, what is the difference between a reading specialist and a literacy specialist? And the second question I'm often asked is, what does a literacy specialist do? Casey will answer that question, the second one, and I'll address the first one. The short answer to the question about the differences between a reading specialist and a literacy specialist is not much. The term has actually shifted from reading to literacy more recently. And I'll get into, I'll explain a little bit before I talk to Casey about how this position started and how it's evolved. First, specialists have actually been in schools dating back to the 1930s. They actually worked as supervisors who worked with teachers to improve the school's reading program. And then after World War II, remedial reading teachers became more permanent fixtures in both elementary and secondary schools. And the main job of these specialists was to work with students who were experiencing difficulties or delays when reading or learning to read. The reading specialists, just as they do now, would work with students individually or in small groups. Then we fast forward to 1965 with Title I of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which provided financial support for students who were experiencing delays with reading. And these students were required to be taught by reading specialists, teachers who had certain credentials to teach reading and the training to support students who were struggling. So in each of these contexts that I just described, it was a reading specialist working with students because the focus of instruction was reading. But more recently, there's been this shift from reading to literacy because schools have recognized that reading is not the only area of focus that these specialists are working with when they work with students. They actually address all of the areas of language arts. So in addition to reading reading or literacy specialists work on writing, speaking, listening, viewing, and even visual representation. So it can be a little confusing because districts and schools can actually use either title to identify the professionals who most frequently focus on reading instruction with students. But it means basically the same thing, that they're working to support students either individually or within small groups, or they even push into the classroom to support literacy instruction. So I hope this helps clarify the two terms. And now we are going to turn to my conversation with Casey to learn more about the role of a literacy specialist. All right. So I'm with Casey. Casey is a literacy specialist at an elementary school. Welcome, Casey. Hi. How are you? Good. Happy to be here. Oh, so happy to have you here. Can you start by just introducing yourself? So, I'm Casey. I'm a reading teacher in a K to
1: two school. So, I work with five, six, seven,
0: and eight year olds. Great. And can you start by your reading specialist? One question that I often get is What is the job of a literacy or a reading specialist?
1: Oh, well, my job is to kind of be the point person for anything reading based in the school and also to be a support for the students in my school who may be struggling with reading. Great.
0: What do you do to support the students' literacy?
1: I push into classrooms and I pull out. I mainly Mm -hmm. work in small group with first grade and second grade students who've shown that they're struggling with reading right now, mainly focusing on decoding as they're still so young and the comprehension piece hasn't pulled in yet. And with kindergarten, I mainly push into the classroom as they're too young to really fully determine if they need reading support. By the end of the year, that sometimes changes. But right now, since we're still in October... I'm pushing in and supporting kind of a whole class group there.
0: Great. Can you explain the difference between push in and pull out?
1: So push in is when I go into the classroom, I co-teach and work with the main classroom teacher, as well as pull small groups as needed within the classroom setting. Pull out is when I take a small group of students who have similar needs and work with them for about a 30, 40 minute at a time in my own classroom outside of their classroom setting.
0: With your own materials. Yes,
1: with my own things and my own materials.
0: Great. So are you required to assess the students who you're working with?
1: Yes, I am. So as a whole school, the whole school is screened via a test called NWEA. And using that data, we pull students who are showing that they may have a reading deficit to do something called AmesWeb with them, which is like a progress monitoring tool that we Mm -hmm. use throughout the year. My school has also used Fontes and Pinnell, the running records, in the classroom, and I also use them to progress monitor my students. And we recently picked up a test called Early Bird that is for more phonological awareness.
0: So the sounds. Yes. The the, sounds that the letters make. Great. How often do you assess the kids?
1: The whole school is assessed three times a year in the fall, winter, and spring. Mm -hmm. But my students, I progress monitor them via AmesWeb. Twice a month. So about every other week to you're assessing them your
0: every other week. Every other week. Wow. To, yeah. Okay. And
1: it's, then do you discuss
0: that with the classroom teacher? Yes.
1: Yeah, so that's used like they ask for it especially when it comes to conference time mm-hmm. or if they have a phone call with a parent that I usually will sit on if it's one of my students so that I can show them their progress and Great.
0: yeah. And you can show that that yeah. you're doing it frequently so you can show yeah. what's happening. Great. So what types of instruction do you use when you're working with the students? Let's in the pullouts Let's start with mm-hmm. the pullouts.
1: We use we have three different programs that we use to build off of. If we have students who are focusing on decoding and like their decoding and phonological like awareness needs, mm-hmm. we have we use foundations and I am a double dose. So they get foundations for their phonics instruction in the classroom. Mm-hmm. But then when they come to me, they get a second sort of like helping of it that we do it again and sometimes maybe a little bit behind the classroom to support mm-hmm. them where they're at. And we also use a program called Hegarty, which is a phonological awareness program that's done all verbally so that they kind of build their awareness of sounds and like letter relationships. And then students who are struggling with comprehension, we use a program called Level Literacy Intervention, which
0: is a comprehension based program. Great. And so you use those two programs with the kids in the group?
1: Yeah, all, all three yeah. of those, depending on what the student's needs are. So if they are a group that's focusing on decoding, we use foundations integrity, while okay. if they're a group that's more focused on comprehension and writing about their reading, we use level literacy intervention.
0: So the, the small groups are really targeting the needs of the students.
1: Yes, we use all the data from the many assessments that we have to figure out what all the group student specific needs are. We group them based on what those needs are and then use that to help drive
0: our instruction. So you have some groups get the, get more phonics mm-hmm. and phonological awareness. Other groups get more comprehension. Do you have any that get both, that receive both In, forms?
1: Right now, no. In the past I've had, and but that's mainly the only time they've really received both is actually when we see them have a greater deficit so that we're supporting them at all ends because they show that they're kind of struggling across the Mm -hmm. board while other students it's we pick their lowest point to help bring them up and kind of that it will balance out where they are so really i've only got had students who get everything who are really showing that they need that kind of everyday support
0: okay Interesting, yeah. yeah, so it's really one or the other. Yes, yeah, so it's one okay. or the other
1: really, because just how it kind of naturally happens is that once they get that decoding piece, then they move on a mm-hmm. comprehension. so they may be focusing on decoding in the beginning of the year, but by the end getting foundations, but by the end of the year working in that level literacy yeah. area because they've more mastered their decoding and more working toward comprehension. So they'll okay. kind of graduate up or like move down the line through right. the programs. Okay. That's interesting.
0: What about writing? Are you able in terms of time to work with the students on writing?
1: The main focus of writing I work on them is based on the program we're on. So if they're focusing on decoding, the main writing we do is writing words and writing sentences that focus on the rule they're learning. So not really creative writing, more writing about implementing these rules
0: that they've learned in like a writing setting. Okay. So for the phonics program, Mm -hmm. let's take that as an example. Mm -hmm. So if they're learning sight words, you Mm -hmm. then want them to write using those sight words. Yes.
1: So usually like using the program there, they give sentences and words that go along with what the role they're learning or I make them up, but it's more of I give them a sentence, they would write it, or I would tell them to write a sentence using these words, but it's not in that. Oh, write a story or right. write what you're thinking about this book we've read. It's more, I guess, regurgitating the rules they're learning to mm-hmm. show that they can implement them in like a few different settings while we're together.
0: Okay. And what about the comprehension? What yeah. What does writing look like for the comprehension component?
1: The program we use does allow us to have a little bit more flexibility with the writing. There is a writing of reading a writing about reading part within. Mm-hmm that program so they are the books we read together they are expected to write about them and generate responses so that has a little more flexibility but it's based on the program we're using it's not supporting their writing within the classroom so that's like a separate time in when they're with their teachers mainly when they focus on that
0: creative writing aspect Mm -hmm. so let's take the kindergarten for Mm -hmm. push in Mm -hmm. what do you do when you push into the classroom
1: so usually uh when I push in, we'll be co-teaching with the teacher, whatever the unit of study is that day. Mm-hmm. And then we will go into stations. So I will most likely, I usually take the lowest students first, the second lowest second. And then if time, I will take the other two groups who are either at grade level or above grade level. Wow. And in that time, it's either a guided, I do a guided reading lesson that's based mm-hmm. off of the skill they're learning or some sort of or some sort of phonics or letter game, depending on where they're at in the year and what they're kind of capable of doing and what we're learning at the time.
0: So it's nice for the kindergarten, you really service all the kids. All the kids are getting support from you. Yes.
1: And that's even in the classroom, because sometimes even Mm -hmm. I go in and maybe it's not stations that day, and I just go teach with the teacher and walk around support. So I do get to know most of kindergarten, Mm -hmm. or at least I do have, there's two of me and another reading teacher where I work. So we work half and half. So I get to know about half the kindergarten of Valley Rowland. Well, she gets to know the other half the kindergarten, It's
0: really well. nice. And then yes. they get the extra support, which yes. is fabulous. That's great. So how, so that you explained a little bit how you work with teachers in kindergarten, mm-hmm. where you're really co-teaching with them and probably co-planning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about that? When you pull out, how do you work with the teachers in that capacity?
1: So that it's really for the pullout, it's like a scheduling is our biggest thing to make sure that they're not pulled out during their core content. So we don't pull students during math or ELA so Mm -hmm. that when they're with me is kind of like a double dose of ELA. It's an extra time, not not kind of taking away from what's happening in the classroom. Really, it's when I take them and working with them on like what their biggest deficit is and what they're struggling with most and then really relaying that to the teacher and sharing what we did and using that like I said I progress monitor every two weeks using that data to share with the teacher like this is where they're at this is what I do and maybe how can we bridge that into the classroom and having those conversations with them so that language is the same across the board and that they're working on similar things in both settings so that
0: it's giving them the most amount of support. That's great. So it's really streamlined between yeah. you and the classroom mm-hmm. teacher. And then how do you work with parents? Parents,
1: I guess when they if a student is getting pulled and working with me, a letter is sent home. But I'm also very available to them via email and phone call. And I make that known Anytime a parent does email me. I immediately set up a phone call with them so that we're able to chat in person, and explain what is going on and why their student may be coming to work with me Mm -hmm. or even uh, some parents like to be have touch base every few weeks and we set up times just to have a short conversation i sometimes send home if they ask for that progress monitoring data i can send that home anything that we use i'm i can send home with the students Mm -hmm. i just if the parent asks or i offer it to them i just i don't send things home without asking because you never know what they want and what they don't want. But I'm very lucky that I, where I work, the parents are very, uh, mostly happy with the support and they're excited that their child's getting a little bit of extra Mm -hmm. support. So I've really had a very positive experience with
0: parents, which is
1: good. I'm very thankful for.
0: That's great. So let's talk about that letter that's getting sent home. So when we're recording this in mid October, which many kids, this is Kids have been assessed at this point yes. in by the classroom teacher and sometimes by a reading specialist yes. as well, and they did do the the NWEA. Mm-hmm. kids have taken some type of mm-hmm. more norm based yes. assessment. So, what does it mean when a parent receives that letter or a call from the school that their child needs reading support?
1: I would say it's a positive thing in a way, just because it's hey, like we noticed something and. We want to help your child now so that five years Mm -hmm. down the line, they're not sitting in fifth grade or sixth grade, still really struggling to understand what's going on in school. That working with these young students that, yeah, it might make a parent nervous that they're like, what's going on? But showing them that we're here to help them and help their children this early, I feel like in general is a positive thing for the child's education, Mm -hmm. especially in the
0: long run. Right. And it's better to receive the services yes. right away rather mm-hmm. than wait. Yes. So I've also heard parents ask, "Should I hire a tutor and not take the services that the school is offering?" What are
1: so? I guess as a teacher, and it? when parents ask me that, I can't give opinions on it. If you want to get a tutor, that's hundred percent up to you because that's your household. But if the school is offering the support, I see no reason not to take it because. I know most schools, they choose the times that the children are pulled out of the classroom mm-hmm. is not during core content area. They're not missing really anything. It's mm-hmm. usually during like a downtime that it's, it's in a way free tutoring. It's, right. it's happening in school and they're getting this here and the teachers work very closely together that if anything, it will help your
0: child I don't see any hurt in it whatsoever. Right. Yeah. That's a good. That's, yeah. that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, and again, it's not. It's to, to support the child, yes. not not a reflection on anything else. Yes. Yeah. Well, great. Is there anything else about your job or your role as a reading teacher that you want to that you want to share before we end? Um,
1: I guess that I feel very lucky that I get to work with almost like all of the professionals in my building that I'm. I work with across all grade levels, and I get to see students progress. Like I. I get to work with some students maybe through kindergarten through second grade and get Mm -hmm. to see them grow as learners and also be able to support them for that whole time instead of just one year is wonderful. And that I get to being able to work with every grade level, kind of have like an insight on what happens like across the span of. The school not just know, OK, this is what happens in first grade. I kind of right. can see the big picture, which is very nice and really nice. It makes it very uh, it's it's never a dull moment. Right. <laughs> There's always something new going on somewhere. Right. And right. I'm usually I can be involved with it, which is very exciting and very nice. That's great. Yeah, it
0: is really nice to yeah. see how they come, how they enter mm-hmm. school and where you're in a K2 building yes. where they need to be when they yeah. leave second grade and go to the yes. go to third grade. That's great. Well, before we end, we're going to end on a positive note. This is when we sh- we share something that went well or is going well with your teaching, reading and writing. So what is something that's going well in your literacy life? I can go first if you want. Go for okay, it. OK, I will. So last week with my graduate students, we covered guided reading. Okay. And small group instruction, yes. particularly focusing on guided reading mm-hmm. where a skill or strategy is taught mm-hmm. and then the kids get to practice at reading and they came with awesome questions and left with ideas on how to enhance their guided reading. So that made me yes. very happy. Oh, it just makes teaching
1: more exciting, too. And when the, when yes. questions are brought and I feel like it leads to good discussion.
0: Exactly. And it can just it can only help the teaching and the students. So yeah. I guess. One of
1: my positive is I just feel very lucky that every day I have people in my building and outside of my building supporting me as I grow as a teacher. It's I feel like I have many outlets to learn from mm-hmm. and that I feel like I have grown so much in the past couple of years as an educator because of the people I work with and who I have access to. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at.
0: That's awesome. I'm lucky to have people to learn from. Exactly. As I'm right. Learning a lot as you're learning. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great, Casey. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us, and I, hopefully, you'll come back again. Of course. Thank you for having me. Well, that was such a pleasure to speak with Casey. Casey, thank you so much for sharing information about your job and the role of a literacy specialist with everyone. Casey is someone who I always enjoy speaking with about literacy and teaching, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode as well. And that's it for this episode of The Literacy Teachers Life. Get in touch! I'm on Instagram at the Literacy Teachers Life. My email address is Elizabeth at the literacy teachers life.com Thank you so much for listening. Please tell a friend about this podcast. And of course, you can leave me a review on any podcast platform where you listen. I so appreciate it. I'll see you next time.